Uh, well, friends, uh, this will only happen in America, but a little while ago I heard of a church uh, in the States which gave a helium balloon uh, to everyone in the service. And uh, during the service, uh, the people were told that they could let the helium balloon go when they felt like expressing the joy that is in their hearts. Uh, You'll be pleased to know it was a Presbyterian church. Uh, Anglicans would never do anything like this. But uh, can you guess how many people let their balloon go by the end of the service? Does anyone want to take a guess? Um, Apparently it was only uh, two-thirds that let it go, and a third continued to hold on uh, to their balloons. Now, uh, uh, I'm not going to... uh, distribute helium balloons today, although if you really want one, we have some out the back um, for you. But if you were given a helium balloon today and were asked to do the same thing, uh, how do you think you would respond? Are you someone who feels joy uh, in your life? Would you say that you have this real deep sense of joy in your heart? Uh, Well, this morning, uh, as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection together, uh, one of my aims is to show you, from the Bible, uh, some reasons why you and I can be joyful if we are people who follow Jesus. For you see, the emotion of joy is a particularly Christian emotion. Uh, That's why Christianity is the only religion, as far as I can tell, where every time we gather together like this, we sing songs, as we've done this morning. It's because Christians have every reason to sing and be joyful in our lives. However, Christian joy is very different to the world's joy. For you see, it's not simply an emotion that overwhelms the mind. No, uh, it is an emotion that is actually commanded uh, of Christians in the Bible. Uh, Furthermore, It's not a joy that is simply dependent on our circumstances. Uh, For example, in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul and Silas, uh, two followers of Jesus, are beaten and thrown in jail for proclaiming the name of Jesus to the people around them. But what do they do in jail? Well, in the very next verses, you see them singing hymns to God and telling others the good news. You see... Christian joy is very weird in that sense, isn't it? It's not dependent on circumstances because it's built on something else. How can Christians have this kind of joy? Well, it's because Christians have a different perspective on life and that is the perspective of hope. Uh, Now, you may have noticed that today's passage in the Bible is a passage that is just throbbing with joy. Did you notice that as we were uh, working our way through the passage? Uh, It's part of a letter written by the Apostle Peter, uh, who was an eyewitness to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's written to a group of Christian people who are sort of scattered here and there around uh, the northwestern part of what is now modern-day Turkey. But notice here that Peter begins to praise God with great joy because of the hope that God has given Christian people. You can see it there in verse 3, can't you? Uh, Have a look with me at verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. Peter writes, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice that this Christian hope is something that is certain because the Christian person's future is based on God himself and his character. You can see there that Peter praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because it is by his great mercy, his character of mercy, that Christians have been born again into this living hope. Uh, Further, notice that the Christian hope is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, Peter says that Christian people have been born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Christian people have had new birth. They've ceased from their old life of sin and ignorance and rebellion against God and have begun a new life and now have the extraordinary certainty of rising to life beyond the grave because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, The other day I was taking a walk in the park and uh, I saw some uh, children taking part in a three-legged race uh, with their parents. Uh, you know what three-legged races are? Uh, the children tie one of their legs to their parents' legs, and then uh, they race uh, down the track against one another. But uh, what I noticed is that whatever the big person did just kind of happened to the little person. <laughs> uh, that's what happens in a, in a three-legged race, isn't it? Uh, if the person takes a big stride, if the big person takes a big stride, then the little person just kind of gets dragged along. If the big person speeds up, the little person speeds up. What happens to the big person happens to the little person. Now, that's the sort of picture we get here. For what happened to Jesus in his resurrection has happened spiritually to Christian people in rising again to new birth, to new life. And what has happened spiritually now in this new birth will also happen physically to God's people in the future. Just as Jesus rose bodily from the grave to rise again to new life, well, you and I also have the hope of one day rising to physical new life if we belong to Jesus. That's what Peter is saying. Uh, We all hope for a better future don't we? We all long for and desire and wish for something better for ourselves in the future. Um, I don't know what you've hoped for, but some of us think that that great future will come if uh, you have a better job. Uh, Some of us think that that great future will come if we have a family, we can start a family. Uh, Still others might think that It will come if we can own our own home or establish ourselves in our career. See, this is how the world thinks, and this is how you and I uh, often think. But not only is there no certainty in these things that they will ever happen, but even if they do happen for you, uh, many people find that when the future that they long for comes around, Well, it is inherently disappointing. 
uh, the Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw once said, there are two sources of unhappiness in life. One is not getting what you want. The other is getting what you want. And even if you do achieve the future that you want for yourself, along comes death. And death will rob you of everything that you have ever worked for in your life. History shows that it will happen to everyone, including you and me, even if you think and I think that we will be the only persons in history that will never have to go through it. But if you belong to Jesus, then your hope, the Christian hope, is not like this. It is not uncertain, for it is based on God's mercy. And further, it is not a hope for something that is terminated at death, for it is anchored firmly in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which happened in history. It is a certain hope that if you belong to Jesus, then death is not the end for you, but that you will live with Jesus forever. Uh, Now, you may have noticed that Peter also describes the thing that Christians hope for uh, as salvation. And so uh, if you have a look at verse 5, you see the word salvation there. And it's there again in verse 9, this word salvation. It's the idea of being saved Uh, from something, like a lifesaver might save someone who is drowning. Uh, What are Christians certain to be saved from? Well, we are certain to be saved uh, from this world, which is spoiled and tainted and corrupted by sin. But the great thing that the Bible tells us is that we are also saved from God's wrath and his anger at my sin and my rebellion and my living my life without wanting him in my life. That sort of attitude. Now, it almost sounds a bit arrogant, don't you think, to say that I am confident of salvation. I am certain of my salvation by God, that on the last day I will be saved by him. And if it is the case that only the best people in this world will be saved by God on the last day, then it almost certainly would be a most arrogant thing to say, don't you think? But remember, our confidence comes from God's mercy, his character of mercy. And in order to receive God's mercy, then you need to have done something wrong in your life, you see. If you've never done anything wrong before God, and you are a perfect person, then this part of the Bible would disqualify you from being saved by God from his wrath. But it's only because I have done wrong before God. It's only because I have sinned against him and ignored him and rebelled against him. And yet have experienced God's mercy in my life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that I can be confident, you see. Do you have this confidence? Because you trust in God's mercy? If you do not know whether you'll be saved on the last day or on your death, then the good news is that you can know this certainty. 
You can be certain of salvation by turning away from your old life of ignoring God and by turning to Jesus as your Lord and Master and King, the one who rules your life and receiving forgiveness and salvation from him. And so if you've never done that before, um, wouldn't Easter Sunday be a great time uh, to make that decision for yourself and to begin a new life with Jesus? But friends, uh, what is the thing that Christians are looking forward to? Uh, What is this thing that Christians hope for? Uh, Well, you can see there that Peter speaks about a future inheritance. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 4. Have a look at your Bibles again. In chapter 1, verse 4, Peter says that our hope is of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, The word inheritance is an important word in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Uh, You might know that that in the Old Testament, uh, that the inheritance uh, that God promises the people of Israel is the inheritance of land, uh, physical land. Uh, It's a good land that is described as flowing with milk and honey because it is the place where God will dwell with his people and bless them. But if you know your Old Testament history, it's also a land that the people of Israel lost because of their sin and their rejection of God. Uh, They lost this land and were exiled and driven into other nations like Babylon. However, the inheritance that Peter speaks of here is not a piece of real estate in Palestine, but rather He's talking about the inheritance of heaven itself. Now, you may have noticed that uh, the New Testament writers don't actually tell us a great amount of detail about what heaven is like. It's probably because heaven is so wonderful and beyond our present experience of this world that they simply don't have the vocabulary to describe what what it is. And so the best they can do is tell us about what heaven is not. So, for example, here Peter says that it is imperishable. There will be no more death and no more separation by death from loved ones in heaven. It is undefiled, meaning that it will not be spoiled and tainted by human sin like the world that we live in now. Further, it is unfading. It will never lose its luster. Uh, But here's the thing. Notice that if you are somebody who belongs to Jesus, then this inheritance, says Peter, is something that is kept secure for you. It's kept secure in heaven, it says, for you. Uh, The closest I've come to receiving an inheritance is uh, a little family heirloom that was given to me as a child. Um, It was actually a little medallion dating back to the ancient kings uh, of Korea, uh, which was given to royal subjects so that they could go to different parts of uh, Korea, I I presume, um, when they were on official duty. Uh, I suppose it was a bit like a passport in in that regard. 
but it was a, a medallion made of gold uh, that fit into the palm of your hand, and it had some horses um, sort of embossed uh, on it, suggesting that you were someone of rank, and uh, because uh, you were there on the king's business, you could ride the king's horses. Now, I don't even know how much something like that is worth. Uh, I'm guessing it's, it's actually worth a lot of money. But the other day, my mother started talking about this family heirloom, and uh, I started to get this sinking feeling because I couldn't for the life of me remember where it was. <laughs> I may even have thrown it out <laughs> uh, when I was younger because I didn't realize what it actually was. You see, that's the character of things in this world, isn't it? We find it very hard to keep things that are important to us. Many of us try very hard to keep things in this world. I think we all do it. Uh, Some of us may try very hard to keep our money and our wealth. We try very hard to keep our health. Some of us try very hard to keep our good looks. I've long since given up on that. Uh, We try very hard to keep our children safe, don't we? Have you ever noticed parents always watching their children because they want to keep them safe? But however hard we try, one day the reality is that we will lose all these things, either in this life, but most certainly on the day that you and I die. And yet, here God says that if you are someone who belongs to Jesus, then he is the one who is keeping an inheritance in heaven for you that you can never lose because it is something that is imperishable, undefiled, and will never fade. It's there. It's ready to be revealed, says God. All God needs to do is draw back the the curtains on the last day and reveal it to you as yours. However, there is another concern here, isn't it? For, I mean, it's one thing to say that this inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade is kept in heaven for you, but how do you know that you are going to heaven (laughs) to receive it? Sometimes it feels like I'm just barely hanging on to my Christian faith because of my circumstances, perhaps, because of my sin? Has it ever felt like that way to you? How do you know that you are going there to receive your inheritance that God is keeping? Well, did you notice in verse 5 that not only does God keep your inheritance for you in heaven, but he is actually keeping you and guarding you so that you will get there. In verse 5, it says that by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. But you might say, well, that's my concern. It's my faith (laughs) that that I'm not very confident about. Will my faith be strong enough and real enough and robust enough to get me to my promised inheritance? And what God says in this passage is that he will be at work even in your faith. 
if you are somebody who belongs to Jesus. And he will refine your faith by giving you trials in this life. You can see it there in verse 6. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't promise to give any of us the life that we desire for ourselves. you understand that? He has never promised to give us the life that we desire for ourselves. But he does promise that he will give his people trials so that he can refine what is precious and that is the faith of his people. Just like you would refine gold and precious metals by putting it through the fire so that all that is not gold, all that is useless, will be burnt away. Well, God gives his people trials so that through the fiery trial, God will slowly burn away all that is not faith. He will burn away your self-reliance on yourself so that your faith in God will be refined and purified for that great day of salvation. Uh, What were the trials that these Christians were going through? I mean, were these Christians being thrown to the lions, perhaps? Were they being hacked to death by the mobs? Were their homes being pillaged and set on fire? Well, this is not out of the realm of possibility, uh, given the kind of persecution that Christians faced during this time and certainly even face this day. But if you read through the rest of Peter's letter, well, you start to get a slightly different understanding of the kind of trials they were going through. You don't have to look this up, but uh, I'll just read a few things to you. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 12, So that when they speak against you as evildoers. Chapter 3, verse 16. When you are slandered for your faith. Chapter 4, verse 4. They malign you. Chapter 4, verse 14. You are insulted for the name of Christ. You see, friends, the trials here are not speaking about the ordinary trials and sufferings and and grief that everyone in this world goes through. Although in God's great power and sovereignty, he even uh, says that he will use those things in your life to refine your faith. Uh, Neither does it seem here to be about extreme physical persecution, but it seems as though it was just the kind of pushback that we get from our world whenever we speak about Jesus. Uh, Just this week, I had the chance to go into the archives of the Sydney Morning Herald, and uh, I found it astonishing that uh, even as recently as the 60s and 70s, um, the 70s was when I was born, there were Christian sermons being printed or discussed uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald, in in the mainstream newspaper. Fast forward to today, and the headline news is of a public Christian sports person uh, being threatened 
to, to be sacked from their job just for speaking what are mainstream Christian views. It's astonishing that this has happened so quickly within one lifetime, and it may get worse in a hurry uh, within our lifetimes and certainly in the lifetimes of our children. And so it's the Christian child being teased at school for speaking about Jesus. It's the Christian office worker being overlooked for that promotion or being ridiculed by colleagues or management for holding Christian views. It's about Christians being slandered and maligned and insulted when they are in the world speaking about Jesus. I must admit that I need your prayers because so much of my time is spent just with other Christian people so that I'm not nearly uh, persecuted in this way in my life as, as much as perhaps I, I would have been in the past. Perhaps you're like that as well. But what God says is that if you are a Christian person, then trials will come in your life and that God will use these trials to refine and purify our faith so that, so that on the last day we will share in the praise and glory and honour of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, I follow an English football team. I won't tell you who it is. Uh, they play their games in England, and yet uh, I stay up in the wee hours of the night uh, watching my team with my team jersey on. Because when they win, I participate with them in their great victory. It doesn't happen often, but uh, <laughs> I want to participate with them. I celebrate, I experience joy, for this is what sport is like, isn't it? The next morning when my wife asks me, you know, how did, how did they go? Well, I say to her, we won. Notice I don't say I won or they won. I say we won. For you see, even though I was not on the pitch, even though I did not even raise a sweat, well, their victory is my victory. And that's what it will be like on the last day as we share in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was raised to new life. And so, friends, even if we face trials, it is tinged with joy, for we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In verse 6, Peter says, In this you rejoice. He's not saying you rejoice in the trials. He's talking about the living hope that we have. And further down in verse 8, we have the joy of knowing Jesus now because we know that through his death and resurrection, we have this new relationship with him and we can look forward to the salvation of our souls. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so, friends, do you know this Jesus? Do you love this Jesus? Do you trust this Jesus? For if you do, then you have reason above everyone else in this world to be joyful.
For in his death, on the first Good Friday, he died to cleanse you from all sin. And in his resurrection on the first Easter Sunday, he rose to new life so that he could give you new life and a living hope for an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And you know that God is not only keeping that treasure, but keeping you for that day of salvation. What a glorious day that will be. And so will you rejoice with him today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much and we praise you for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank you that on that very first Easter Sunday, he won the victory over death and now gives us a living hope that death will not be the end, but a heavenly inheritance that awaits us. Father, we thank you that in your great power and wisdom, You have promised to use all the circumstances of our lives, uh, even uh, the grief of our lives and the suffering of trials to purify and refine our faith. Uh, We pray especially for those who are facing difficult circumstances in their lives at the moment or trials uh, because uh, they have made it public that they are Christians we ask that you would hold them and help them to see your purpose even in these things and that you would strengthen and refine their faith in you. But Father, we thank you that on this day we can remember again your great kindness and mercy to us in giving us new birth and a living hope of heaven. Father, we thank you that this is anchored in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we pray that you would help us this day to rejoice in all that he has done for us and that we would love him and trust him and look forward to seeing him face to face on that glorious day when he returns and our inheritance is revealed to us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.